You're listening to episode 63 of the Comic Spells. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. This episode of the Comic Spouse is brought to you by the all-new, all-spectacular Comic Spouse Cruise. All your favorites will be there. Marco with his chewable enemas. Marco with his common rider marathons. Pete with his unlimited soup and salad. Bill will give you a noogie for no charge. And you'll even find out that Sean is black as he regales you with his favorite pirate tales. So come on, come all to the Comic Spouse Cruise. Marco's going to be holding Common Rider marathons, huh? That yeah. seems like a jam I should get on. <laughs> I should really sign up for that cruise. Maybe. No kale. Your bit was just fine until you screwed it up. <laughs> just fine. That's a that's an apt description of you. Just fine. Until he screws it up. Exactly. Listen, Pete can't be here today. He's at the Olive Garden convention. He's not going to be back <laughs> until that's over. Because when you're there, you're family. He's he's attending the bread uh, the breadstick panels right now. That's right. Pete is actually at Magfest, which sounds a lot cooler than what we're doing, which is this podcast. So it's actually bag it's actually Bagfest, which is short for Baguette Fest. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't baguettes French? Yeah, they are. <laughs> yeah, they are. <laughs> Oh That's that said, I would go to an Olive Garden convention. I'm not even gonna lie about that. <laughs> what would happen? You have to get a bath and an Alfredo sauce. Gorge myself on breadsticks. <laughs> oh my god! Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, see, this is what happens when Pete's not here. We don't know how to conduct ourselves. Um, so, if you like this brand of humor, <laughs> uh, <laughs> guys, everybody behave for mom. <laughs> I'm checking. I'm checking the meters right now. We just keep losing listeners by the like by droves by the second. <laughs> oh my god! If you uh, if this is what you find to be entertaining, then you can go and leave us a rating on iTunes. Uh, whatever rating you think we deserve. While you're there, you can also leave a comment. We're on all podcast hosting platforms, or almost all of them. So go check us out on whichever one is your favorite. Uh, we are at the Comics Pals wherever your social media is sold. Um, you can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. You can write in with a random question about our cell, uh, your thoughts on a news item, or the main topic. This week we'll be talking about the Punisher and whether or not that character should exist. Um, and then, of course, if you are on YouTube, you can leave us a comment. Um, you can like the video, subscribe to our channel, and share this video with your friends. And if you're not watching this on YouTube, you should go there and do that anyway, because it helps us out a lot. Why don't we start the show off the way we always do, by asking a question. You could even say, uh, Pete's not here, um, <clears throat> a random question. <laughs> it's time for the random question of the week. Lovely. Yes. I bring the energy. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so... For this week, my question is, if uh, you had to swap an artist on a book that you were currently reading, who would you pick and why? So, like, any book that you are reading or have read that you're like, hey, you know what, maybe, what would, what would this, this story be like with, like, another artist? Sure, sure. Um, This is a weird one. I personally would go with, I, I don't know why. Well, I do know why. I'll explain. Uh, Steve McNeven on Batman. 
I am a huge fan of McNiven. Uh, it, one of one of the greatest comic book runs of all time, for my money, is Edward Baker's Captain America, and McNiven really made that shine in a lot of ways. Uh, him and then Epting and um, a few others, and then of course, sorry, Kim? Epting did most of that, right? Yeah, Epting did most of it, but but McNeven McNeven was there for a bit, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, Civil War as well, obviously my favorite um, comic book, anything, uh, and you know he was on that. So uh, yeah, I would I would go with McNeven. I I would love to see his kind of uh, you know super realistic style applied to Batman. That's not anything new, I guess, but. That's what I want to see. So, and specifically, like the Tom King Batman run right now. Yeah, because because Tom King's Batman, I think of all the runs that we have seen lately, I think Tom King's lends itself best to that artistic style because it's the most grounded. Touch on the same book because, like the other ones I'm reading, I wouldn't change the artist at all. I, would, I wonder what Batman would look like by Declan Shalvey. Oh, mm-hmm. um, I'm really fond of his art. Uh, which is why I interviewed him in New York. I specifically am thinking of uh, Marvel's analog to Batman the Moon Knight, which he did, and that was some really dope-ass art. So I'm curious what he would do with a more high-profile book like Batman with presumably higher uh, higher art demand as well. Yeah, that would be interesting. What about you, Kale? Ah, uh, boy. Um... I'm going to go off the last book I read, which was uh, the, Bible. One of the, which was the <laughs> Bible. And I got to tell you, the art has, is lacking. Um, I got to, I got to <laughs> say. Um, so yeah, Steve McNiven would be a great choice for that. Hey, realism. <laughs> but uh, so the last thing I read was one of the uh, Star Wars books from before the big Disney reset. So it was a uh, one of the dark horse ones. Uh, it was a uh, the Boba Fett something or other. It wasn't very good. I love that um, title. Yeah. <laughs> um, literally, anyone would have been better on this book. <laughs> like the, the <laughs> art just oh, wasn't oh very good. God, that sounds like a challenge. Listeners, draw your best Boba <laughs> Fett for us. I'll take that. Yeah, it would have been better than this book for me. Um, I really want to see Oming on um, Michael Avon Oming on uh, a spirit book. Uh, so with paired yeah. with like uh, I think the last series was um, by Matt Wagner, uh, and I'm forgetting the artist. Um, but I feel like like that book would have been a bit stronger if it had like an artist like that, like like um, uh, Avon Oming. I, I I guess I'm not. I haven't read a ton of stuff that he's been involved in. Uh, his his art is very it's um like if you think of Phil Hester yes think uh, think of him uh as much shadows but more circles like yeah. I, I feel like I feel like Phil Hester is very blocky but I feel like Oming really knows his circles yeah I think I read uh Oh my goodness! It was something that him and Bendis did, but it wasn't Powers. Oh, uh, it was an early thing. Like uh, they, I think they collabed. Like even B- Jinx. It wasn't Jinx. It was actually more recent. Um, it was about 
the it was about a world in which the mafia has basically taken over the whole United States. I can't remember what it was called though. Like the, it's the United States of Crime or something. The United States of Crime. <laughs> uh, was I? Gosh, my memory this morning. Um, I definitely remember that book, and I definitely remember Elming being involved. United States of Murder. There you go. Yeah. I uh, see. Go. I wasn't too far off. You laughed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> Um, no, yeah, that I think that would be really interesting, Marco. And uh, thanks for the random question. It'll do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's jump into our pals polls. This week, uh, we've got from Marco, Wicked and the Divine, Volume 6, Imperial Phase Part 2. It's a mouthful. Yeah, uh, this is the sixth volume in the Wicked and Divine series, but it is the continuation of the imperial phase storyline um this arc has been amazing non-stop uh like action everything's just like ramping up i feel like this is where the the climax of the entire series really is yeah i'm i'm really excited to see where like what the repercussions are after this arc um especially knowing where some characters might end up um just like from reading spoilers and stuff so um probably knowing knowing the wicked and the divine probably dead uh sure also you like spoil (laughs) shit for yourself no i like uh i ran across it because it was like a fan article or something and then like yeah it was my fault a farticle a farticle isn't wicked and the divine nearly ending Mm, to my knowledge they're they have maybe like 60 issues in them for for this oh, okay. for this so they're like around like 30 maybe yeah i think i think they said on twitter i think this week that they're going to volume 9 okay and then there will be like a, a side issue trade as well yeah like, like all the side like the one off stories yeah cool and then you also chose royal city number 9 uh yeah royal city is a jeff lemire book uh written and drawn by him i plugged it a couple weeks back it's basically like about a, a writer uh who isn't as successful as he hopes he is and comes back to like the city where he grew up um it's a very emotional story very character driven uh family interaction kind of story uh i've really been enjoying it and the art is uh very very apt to the mood that uh he portrays in the writing awesome so then from Kale, we've got Mech Cadet U, Volume 1. Uh, yeah, I talked a lot about this story when it came out. Um, it's about a, a little kid who uh, gets paired with a giant alien robot and gets to join um, the giant alien robot forces. Um, and it's really cool. Um, it's from uh, Greg Pak, who's a, you know, who's a big favorite around here. Um. Uh, I'm really excited to pick pick up the trade and and see where where it goes. Cool. And then you also chose Hellboy and the BPRD, 1954. So this is, I, it seems like it's sort of a, a continuation of Hellboy's adventures uh, from when he first gets started, um, and, and it's clearly fairly new. So I think uh, I. Mignola must be 
coming out of Hellboy retirement to to write it, and I'm all for it. That's awesome. Hellboy's been around for a while, huh? Yeah. I'm going to go out and say 92. That's when he was created. That early, you think? I think so. Maybe 94, but I'm going to look it up. I was going to say 97 or 98. Really? Oh, shit. Maybe I'm really off. 93. Uh, yeah, Mignola retired a couple of years ago. Said he said he wasn't gonna write Hellboy anymore. It was last year. Oh, really? Oh, is that that it was recent? Very recent, yeah. Hmm. Oh, so maybe this is the stuff still coming out then. Yeah, maybe that would make sense. That's that's cool though. I love Hellboy. For Christmas, I actually picked up the third and fourth. Uh, I picked up. My parents got me the third and fourth library editions for Christmas, which is really nice. So nice. Oh. I read the first two. And I, Fucking love it. That's awesome, man. I, I want to jump into Hellboy, too. Um, yeah. Before the movie comes out, I want to try to read some Hellboy stuff. Because to be honest, I think I read I read something called Hellboy in Hell. Yeah. yeah. Uh, at some point, And then that's the only thing I ever read. So I'd like to. I think it's the sixth library edition is Hellboy in Hell. It's Yeah. It's like the last sort of Hellboy story, I think. One of the last. Yeah. I picked an interesting place to start. Yeah. From my understanding, the best stuff's like the really, it's like the first three or four volume stuff. That's like the real, that's the real jam. Mm. Well, speaking of the real jam, uh, both Phil and I chose Mr. Miracle number six. Yeah, dude. Uh, it was my best book of 2017, and we are only halfway there, I think, right? 12 issues total, and this is what? So maybe it'll be the best book of 2017. 18 too. It's possible. Um, Mr. Miracle has been fantastic. I just, I really love the collaboration between Tom and Mitch. I think that uh, they work brilliantly together and they've taken a book that doesn't really have a great reason to be as good as it is. Uh, Mr. Miracle is not a character that's uh, like, unless I'm missing something, not a character who's known for great runs and being this, you know, a character that people have really taken a liking to. And for Tom to be able to, and Tom and Mitch to be able to, you know, see something in this character and see a story uh, that they could tell that would be this good is so impressive. I think it's proof that any character can run with a solo run. Like if you have yeah. the right creative team behind it, um, I mean, I, I know Mr. Miracle has had his fans, and I know there's been plenty of people who really like the Mr. Miracle Big Barter relationship. They ship it real hard or whatever. Um, but you know, it's an exemplary book, and it's just it's it's a it's a nod to the, the creative team, like you said, um, Sean. You had Tom King as your creative uh, talent in 2017. I had Mr. Ads, and I think that's for good reason. These were the two. These are the two guys right now. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, I, I'm I'm just all in on this book, 100. percent Yeah, I mean, what else can you say? Uh, they're like uh, Aaron Judge and uh, the other guy the Yankees just signed. Two <laughs> best in the business. Yeah, wow, what a great analogy. I can't remember that guy's name. He's really good at hitting baseballs, though. <laughs> oh God. Um, so a little PSA before we jump into the news that Netflix has added several Batman movies to their lineup. So if you have been feeling like you need more Batman in your life, uh, because there's not enough Batman in the world, um, Netflix now has Batman 1989, 
Batman Returns, Batman Forever, Batman and Robin, and Batman Begins available for streaming. So my question to you guys is, of those movies, which Batman is your favorite? Batman Returns. Batman and Robin is the one where um, uh, it's like Mr. Freeze, right? Yeah. Okay. So I've only seen out of that list, I've only actually seen that one and uh, Batman Begins. Oh, Marco. Wow. I've never seen, I've never seen, uh, like, I've never seen any of the other, like, the older ones. Uh, Like, uh, those two are the only Batman movies I know. Um, Damn. So for me, it's Batman Begins. You got, well, Batman Begins is fantastic, but you gotta see Batman Returns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, it's even like even if you only watch those two Michael Keaton movies, Bam, the first Batman and uh, Batman Returns, like you'll you'll be into it. Like, uh, who's the who's the who's the director on that? It was um, Tim, Tim Burton. Burton. Okay, okay, yeah. Well, that's how you should spend. Some semblance of time this week, <laughs> like to, like tonight. Catch up with those. Like uh, <laughs> now, <laughs> huddling, huddling the from show. the cold. Up, oh, that's it, guys. I gotta go watch it. Be back in, in four hours. That's right. Uh, for me, this is tough. It's really a, it's like a toss up between Returns and Batman Begins. Uh, I love both of those movies so much. Um, I think I, I think I go with Batman Begins. Just because, to me, Batman Begins is the definitive origin for Bruce um, and for Batman. Why do we fall, Master Sean? <laughs> uh, so that we can get up. Damn straight. I can't remember the exact uh, line, but um, I think I think uh, I think Batman Returns is a phenomenal movie, but uh, Begins is just. Just everything, and it has Rachel Ghoul. It's the only, it's the only movie we've gotten. That Irish Rachel Ghoul. Yeah. <laughs> I, Irish Al <Yeah>. Ghul. <laughs> they went out of their way to not cast an Asian person in that role, huh? Like they, they really they tried to. so yeah. hard to not. Yeah. Hi, <laughs> Master Bruce. I am from the Middle East. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why he's calling him Master Bruce, but whatever. Yeah, really. <laughs> uh, so, Phil, what's your favorite Batman movie of those? I gotta tell you, it's missing my all-time favorite Batman movie, which is Batman and Robin. I knew, I knew one of you fucks was gonna say that. <laughs> <laughs> I love Batman and Robin. I love when he confronts Bane, who is Tom Hardy, and talks in a weird accent. Um, I love... I love when he fights the Joker who's got scars on his face, but no one will, no one will ask him why. He won't tell them. It's like a really well-kept secret. Stop this. <laughs> uh, my all-time favorite Batman movie next to Batman and Robin is Batman Forever. I can't wait to watch that on there. I I, I like Batman Forever a lot, actually. Like, oh, it's, oh, Billy. It's, not, it's not the best. Uh, but it's definitely not the worst. That should be the name of the next Batman movie. The best <laughs> Batman. Yeah, I mean, Batman and Batman Forever has some redeeming qualities. There, yeah, there are there is stuff to like about it, but that one doesn't have Arnold Schwarzenegger singing uh, the Snow Miser song. <laughs> good. Yeah. So, come on, you're right. You guys are right. That's not as good as Batman and Robin for obvious reasons. You know what? I wish we would have gotten. Uh, I wish that we would have gotten Tim Burton's Batman 3 
It would have had, uh, gosh, Lando Calrissian. Um, uh, what's that actor's name? Uh, yeah, yeah. Two Williams. Yeah, 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 yeah. Billy D. Williams. Whoa. Yeah, he was he was the uh, the the wanted like Two Face for uh, for that series. He plays Harvey Harvey Dent in in um, Batman and Batman Returns. Yeah, he, yeah, he plays Harvey Dent in Batman Returns. And then he's completely scrapped from uh, forever. Whoa! Because Lee, well, he became white and southern really quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I think he is. I think he's Two Face in the Lego Batman films, but I think he's also. Uh, I think he's also Two Face in the uh, the recent Adam West Batman animated feature. That's cool. Oh, that's cool. Okay, like dude. I think William Shatner was also in that. I don't. I don't remember as who. Wait, didn't William Shatner play uh, Two Face? Okay, maybe I'm just thinking of the Lego thing. Then I'm gonna look it up. Yeah, I think I think William Shatner played Two Face. Put your Legos away. We're doing a podcast. No. Um, and then the other interesting thing about Batman Returns, and I don't know why we're just talking about this movie right now, but why not? Uh, the other interesting thing is that Marlon Wayans was supposed to play Robin, which I is did not, not know something that, that everyone hmm. knows. Yeah. He was, yeah, they, they, they casted him. Uh, I believe they even outfitted him and everything. And then they cut that role out of the movie. Uh, Returns was supposed to be a totally different film. There's a great video actually, uh, that just came out on YouTube a few days ago. I can't remember the name of the YouTube page, but we'll link to it. Um, it, I just, I'm just plugging it because I thought it was a great video and it talks about what Batman Returns was initially supposed to be and then kind of how it transformed into what it became on release so um michelle pfeiffer is catwoman is all i gotta say baby talk about a sexual awakening (laughs) (laughs) excuse me how old were you like four (laughs) yeah yeah it did wow uh yeah sean you were right uh william shatner was uh two-faced in the the adam west batman thing yeah uh Billy D. Williams was Two Face in the Lego thing. That's very cool. Um, all right, so let's let's jump into the news. And actually, today, you know, when we're recording this Saturday morning, there is a protest taking place. Uh, Zack Snyder's fans, his legion of fans, his are legion protesting. Of yeah, ah, there you go. I like it. Are protesting at the Warner Brothers headquarters for a Justice League director's cut. Uh, so the event is called Hashtag Release the Snyder Cut, um, which, and it's being held at the Warner Brothers headquarters in Burbank, California. Uh, it was organized by a YouTuber named It's Mo, who wants anybody who is a fan of Zack Snyder and of Justice League that wants to see this Snyder Cut to come out, uh, cosplay, wear a shirt that supports... Uh, the film or the characters and just kind of um, raise awareness, I guess, at Warner Brothers that people want this. And so the following is um, what It's Mo is saying and his call to arms. Join me and other Snyder fans as we take a photo in front of Warner Brothers with a hashtag release the Snyder cut sign while wearing our Zack Snyder shirts slash DC shirts and costumes to peacefully show our support for the release of a Snyder cut of Justice League. After we take the photo, we will share it on all of our social media, so hopefully it will spread and get it to Zach himself so he can see it like he saw the Thank You Zack Snyder video I made. 
Now, that's cool. Uh, but the fact that they want it to be peaceful, which why would a Zack Snyder protest not be peaceful? Uh, peace is everything that Zack Snyder is about. Um, but what's interesting and what I like the most about this is that they are making it so that they're, this, that this is just support for Zack and not an attack on any other element of what DC is doing. Absolutely no shirts slash signs slash insulting WB slash Joss slash etc. will be allowed in the photo. We want to show support for Zack Snyder, so we want to focus on our support and love for him and his work, not dissing others, so do not bring shirts or signs insulting others or you won't be allowed in the photo. We don't want to embarrass Zack and give Zack Snyder fans a bad name. We want to show him how much we appreciate him and make this a photo that he would be happy to share. So, uh, <laughs> what do you guys think about this? Well, I regret bringing on a guest, but I brought I brought on a guest here to defend this. His name is Whiny Stan. Oh, I'm not whiny. I love Zack Snyder. Of all the things in 2017 and 2018, this is the most important thing of the year. Well, Stan, uh, how do you feel about the the Joss Whedon thing? Like, like, sure. <laughs> it boils my goose, and nothing in this world makes me angrier. I, I well, then I guess it's a good thing you're not at the WB headquarters, right? Because you wouldn't be allowed in the photo. I assume you're wearing a a, a Joss Whedon sucks T-shirt. I assume you made yourself. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I bedazzled it with my own bedazzler. I'm here to see Zack Snyder get justice. This will be our dawn of justice. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, my God. Please leave the show. Yeah. Goodbye, whiny Stan. <laughs> you got you to quit letting these people in your house. I'm sorry. Uh, I don't know how he got in here. And by the way, that shirt was, he's, he misspelled Josh. He spelled it as Josh. <laughs> Josh Whedon. <laughs> like, it's, yeah, it's okay. So, like, that part of it, the Josh Whedon part of it is real, is, is really tasteful. Like, I'm really glad he's putting a bar on that. Um, that's by far like the worst part about like this whole thing is how much like, well, not how much Joss bashing it's doing, but like, cause you know, Joss sucks, but like how much like that, how it's Snyder versus Whedon, like that part oh, sucks. Justice. Right. Right. I mean, you know, say what you will about Joss as a person, creatively speaking, he's done some great stuff. And Justice League being what it is, you know, I, who 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 could parse out whose fault any of that is? Yeah. It's a it's a it's a Frankenstein's monster. And so I agree with you completely that the fact that it's become, you know, oh this is Snyder, uh, this is Whedon's fault and he's terrible. You know, that's that's not cool. But I also, <laughs> what are these people going to do when they realize that that part of the movie is really going to suck? <laughs> Oh, I came back just to defend it. It's his true artistic vision. It's artistic kino. But what if you don't like it? 
Ah, I love everything he does. 300 is a masterpiece. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. That's right. Hey, I like the Watchmen movie, so. I love the Watchmen movie. I didn't really get it, but I love the action sequences. Those were the worst parts. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Phil, do you have any actual opinions about this? Um... I'm sorry, whiny Stan, but uh, I don't think it's going to be that good. And I think having an assembly over trying to get a crappy movie released is a waste of everyone's time when there's a lot more important shit going on in the world. But whatever, it makes the room. Yeah, it's we- it's weird that there's that this is what they're staging a protest about in 2018. Marco, do you have any <laughs> thoughts on this? Uh, I don't have any specific opinions. This is this is whatever. Like, <laughs> like, all right, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, you know, like, why you gotta? What do you? What are you protesting, man? You just don't, don't want to upset Whiny Stan. I hear you. Yeah, Whiny Stan. Personally, no, I can't. Snyder lives matter. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> uh, I agree with that. Uh, Scott Snyder, Zack Snyder. Uh, that's all I got. The only Snyders I know. Uh, anyway, remember when we used to protest things like, you know, ant- like bombs being dropped and all that jazz? Remember that? Police brutality. And like women's rights. <laughs> w- yeah, women's rights, you know, blacks' rights, all that jazz. The good old days. This is uh, a well. bigger priority. <laughs> Get him out of your house. Out, out you go, out I say. Don't kick him. The cold street. Uh, well, I think that Warner Brothers is probably currently too busy to deal with that because uh, they've been in the process of finding a new president, um, <clears throat> and now Walter Hamada is now the president of um, DC-based film production. So. Walter Hamada has done a lot of good stuff over at Warner Brothers. Uh, he's been involved with New Line, um, the Conjuring films he was a part of as an executive. Um, <clears throat> and so they are really pleased with the work that he's done. And now he's going to kind of take over uh, the position of John Berg, who is completely out. Um, and this is a, this is all a result of Justice League being poorly received. DC has had a hugely negative reaction, um, and now they're kind of just trying to do whatever they can to right the ship. So this guy uh, Hamada was involved with it as well, which was a huge hit. So they're they're turning to him now, hoping that he can bring some of what he brought to New Line over to uh, DC. Now Jeff Johns is kind of you know in a weird position because he was directly involved in Justice League. Uh, granted, he wasn't he didn't have the creative control when that film began production as he did uh, later on. But um, he's now being sort of penalized. So he's gonna work with Hamada. He's gonna work sort of closely with him. But for all intents and purposes, uh, and of course, this has not been officially announced, but it doesn't appear that he's going to have the same level of uh, creative involvement as he most recently did. So, do you do you think it's penalization? Uh, I personally do. So, 
Hollywood Reporter says that Hamada will work closely with Johns. And this is a quote. He will work closely with Johns, the president and chief creative officer of DC Entertainment, who worked side by side with Berg, while also drawing resources from both Warners and New Line. So to me, when Jeff was working with Berg, they were a sort of creative tag team. Uh, now with Hamada stepping in, I don't really see a reason why Johns would remain at the same level of power that he once was at, because I could see Warner Brothers executives thinking that Justice League was kind of his turn at that. And that not being successful makes Johns look bad. Somebody who already was being um, pushed aside prior to Wonder Woman. So prior to Wonder Woman, he wasn't really getting shine. They thought that uh, Batman vs. Superman was poorly received. They gave Johns a higher position. Wonder Woman came out and was good because, not because of, but in part because of Johns' involvement um, and his understanding of the character. So they thought, okay, great, Johns will work for us. And then uh, Justice League came out. It didn't go so well. And then the reports were that Johns was either out or going to have a diminished role. Um, so he wasn't technically demoted. But to me, Hamada coming in, Berg being out, Berg, who was a huge supporter of Johns, I just see this as uh, Johns having a, a more reduced role or limited power set. Marco, cue the circus music. E- e- okay. um it it seems like there's gonna be a lot more people with their hands in the pot and um that's exactly what they need no (laughs) i i I think i think this is gonna if this new uh president comes in and like does make changes and like really shakes things up i don't think we're gonna I, i think that this is gonna affect quality it's going to make it diminish because there's going to be more people involved more opinions um and if it's potentially bypassing johns or keeping him out or maybe to some extent like uh taking him out of the picture for some of these things uh i think it's gonna we're gonna have to see but i'm not hopeful right now see i i one i i I disagree that it's going to be more hands in the pot. Like it's going to be like it, it, they basically just traded out presidents. So it's going to be someone, someone else's hands in the pot as opposed to the shitty guy. Um, but to me, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily read that John's is that his role will be diminished uh, more that they'll have someone there who can complement his knowledge and his his expertise and his create and his creative vision to film and even better to genre film um and i think that'll serve the the dc uh enterprise a lot better than just a cinematic universe we'll see um so the reason why the marvel stuff works is in large part because of kevin feige and i think everybody knows that uh, I've always hoped that Jeff Johns would be allowed to be the Kevin Feige of DC. Um, now, granted, uh, Johns does not have the film background that Feige does. So he doesn't know how to take his vision and then apply it to film with the budget and with everything else. That's not necessarily something that he had going, a skill he had prior to getting this job. So pairing him with an executive 
makes sense. Somebody who knows the dollars and cents of these kinds of things. At the same time, though, that can be creative, creatively stifling. So I'm just hopeful that you're right and that it doesn't end up being sort of a war between a guy in a suit who doesn't necessarily get it versus a guy who comes from a, a highly creative background who totally gets it. The fact that Hamada was involved in two highly successful um, films, well, one film franchise and one uh, super popular horror movie in it, that gives me hope. So, you know, it remains to be seen, but it's not all doom and gloom at DC. Unless you're a Snyder fan like Mr. Stan. Uh, <laughs> so, to avoid going down that rabbit hole again, <laughs> let's change the subject. Somebody who we at the the uh, the Pals family are very, very uh, big fans of is Dirk Manning. And Dirk Manning recently announced several new titles, nine in fact, uh, that he plans to put out in 2018. One of them is his very first superhero story uh, in, a, in a long-form sense, and it's called Hope. This is the kind of uh, tagline for the series. I've been waiting almost a decade to find the perfect artist collaborator for what will be my first ever long-form superhero story, and I'm tickled pink to say that I finally found the proper partner and collaborator in my pal, Kaylin Smith. For those of you who may not be familiar with her work, Kaylin is the writer and creator of her own amazing comic series, Plume. If you haven't checked out and backed the Plume Omnibus on Kickstarter yet, take a moment to do so here right now and come back. Regarding the nature and tone of hope, we don't want to give too much away until you've read the first issue, but I will say that while it is indeed a genuine superhero book, it definitely combines the sensibilities of both our previous works and a story with about a strong with about a strong female character, female lead character that's very action packed and will take some very unexpected turns within the first few pages alone. Uh, so hope will be available at both of their uh, tables at artist alley and Emerald city comic con in Seattle next month. So if you're going to be there, that's something exciting to check out. Uh, but that's not all. Um, Dirk also has a very cute, Story called Adventures of Cthulhu Jr. and Dastardly Dirk yeah. with Scoot McMahon. Uh, if you haven't had the opportunity to check out the art on this one, you have to. It's, it's super cool. Uh, it's, it's essentially Dirk Manning's comic book persona, um, chasing down a baby Cthulhu. It's very Calvin and Hobbes. Yeah. 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 I like it a lot. I'm excited for this one. Yeah. Uh, and then he's also got, um, Cosa Nostra with Dan Doherty, which is going to be a mafia crime book with a supernatural twist, which actually really plays well into both of their uh, sensibilities. Uh, Dan Doherty um, has done Touching Evil, which is uh, similar to this. So, and then and then he's got Twisted that he's plugging the uh, Haunted High on series, uh, the Nightmare World Omnibus. So a lot of content coming from Dirk Manning this year. So if you if you're not familiar with Dirk, now's a great time to jump on board. And if you are, there's a lot of good stuff to look forward to. And a lot of it's in the horror genre. So Marco, that's right up your alley, man. Yeah. And Marco, read a superhero book for once. There you go. There you go. It's an it's an indie one, so it'll probably be good. Yeah. Yeah. And it's from Dirk Manning, so it'll probably be good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we got to get... I like this game. 
<laughs> we got to get Dirk back on here to talk about these books. No one can plug Dirk like Dirk does. That's very true. Uh, the next book is called Wasted Space, uh, and it's coming from Vault, which is a publisher that I've honestly never heard of before, but uh, that's cool. Uh, and so it's being written by Michael Marecci, I think is how you say his name, or Marecci. I've, I've tangled with this a few times, and I don't have an answer for you. <laughs> I'm going to go with Marecci. I'm going like to look it up. Okay. And uh, I'll keep talking. Hayden Sh- and Hayden Sherman. Hayden Sherman is the artist. Uh, and so they've, they've teamed up to work on this, uh, sci-fi space opera. Um, so it's going to launch in April 2018. And the miniseries follows a false prophet named Billy Bain, who was called in to save the galaxy from the kind of destruction he caused when he was younger. The publisher frames it as Philip K. Dick meets Preacher. The art is really, really, really cool, actually. Um, uh, and so, uh, the covers are done by Margaret Savage and the letter is Jim Campbell. So, uh, some high quality talent actually on this one. Yeah, it looks good as shit. I really enjoyed, uh, his book, uh, Roche Limit. I reviewed it. Yeah. I reviewed it. Um, oh, and I, man, that's I had a great time with that book. He sounded so familiar. Okay. That's okay. Yep. Yeah, we've had uh, we've had interactions with him in the past on uh, some capacity. So altercations, I remember. not altercations. <laughs> but uh, I'm really into this art style. I think this looks very very cool. Uh, the description of it of it being Philip K. Dick meets Preacher sounds awesome, and uh, I I'm excited for this. Kale, what's the what's the word on the pronunciation there? You you would think with a a name like that, he would put it on like his website. Or like uh, on his Twitter or something. I got nothing. Yeah, but how do you pronounce it? <laughs> it's too bad Pete's not here because uh, he would obviously know how to pronounce it. <laughs> True. So Jody Foster has had some negative things to say about superhero films lately, and James Gunn came to the defense of our great genre. So. This is what Jodie Foster had to say. Uh, she, she said these things to Radio Times Magazine. Going to the movies has become like a theme park. Studios making bad content in order to appeal to the masses and shareholders is like fracking. You get the best return right now, but you wreck the earth. I feel like I make movies because there are things I have to say in order to figure out who I am or my place in the world or for me to evolve as a person. Uh, though she did say that she would do a superhero film only if it had really complex psychology. So that's, those were her comments. Uh, and then James Gunn came out and, uh, tweeted about what she said. I think Foster looks at film in an old fashioned way where spectacle film can't be thought provoking. It, it's often true, but not always. Her belief system is pretty common and isn't totally without basis. I say not without basis because most of your franchise films are somewhat soulless, and that is a real danger to the future of movies. But there are also quite a few exceptions. For cinema to survive, I believe spectacle films need to have a vision and heart they traditionally haven't, and some of us are doing our very best to move in that direction. 
Creating spectacle films that are innovative, humane, and thoughtful is what excites me about this job. But, to be fair, at least from Foster's quotes, she seems to see filmmaking as something that's primarily about her own personal growth. For me, that may be part of why I do this, but spending many millions of dollars on a film has to be about more than that. It's communication, so my experience is merely one spoke on that wheel. But I respect Foster and her talent and what she's done for films, and I appreciate her different way of looking at Hollywood's landscape. I don't. I don't think there's ever been a more eloquent like defender of like superhero properties than James Gunn. And I don't just. Absolutely. I don't just mean in the in this situation, but like the couple of times he's come out. And well, the couple of times he does it quite a bit, actually. Uh, he, he just, he really takes the time to put his mind down and he does it just so well. Yeah, I agree. Um, he, he, he was very respectful in his response to her. Yeah. I, I, I agree with him. I think, um, I, 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 I hear where Jodie Foster is coming from, but I, I don't think, what she's describing is what superhero movies are anymore, or at least the majority of superhero movies are anymore. Um, you know, there, you know, before Iron Man, superhero movies were like the Transformers films, just noise and metal scraping together and, you know, just something to waste two hours. But, like, especially Marvel, especially with Marvel, the, the superhero genre has really grown. And I think part of the reason it it has worked so well is because they have people like James Gunn or, um, or the Russos who want to do it and who find the enjoyment and the creativity in these films – and can and can and want to make it good um and like I, I it would be cool to see a jodie foster superhero film like it doesn't you know i think the 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 popular misconception is that uh, a superhero film can't be quiet but like a jodie foster batwoman film would be dope yeah i can see it i'd 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 pay my money to see that film and, and listen miss foster if superheroes were real, maybe you wouldn't have been stuck by Mr. John Hinckley. I'm lost what? on that. Oh, so uh, in the early 80s, John Hinckley had a like disgusting obsession with, with Jodie Foster and attempted to assassinate President Reagan and was arrested. And he said his motivation is that he was trying to impress Jodie Foster. <laughs> this, was, what the hell? this was a major incident. I, yeah, I knew. Yeah, before I was born, I, kn- I knew about his obsession with Jodie Foster. I didn't. Uh, I didn't know he did it to impress her. Yeah, yeah, he shot the president. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's amazing. Nutty. Yeah, he's uh, a crazy I don't, person. I don't really care for her. Um, her assessment that superhero films are like fracking. I think that's a that's, that's a gross. One, see. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Um, and and listen, you know. I don't know how many superhero films Jodie Foster watches, but what's hilarious to me is that in the 90s, you had crappy ones like Captain America and those, but no one really cared about those. The ones that people cared about were like 
in the early nineties, right? You had well in night in eighty nine, you had Batman by Tim Burton, and then we you had Returns, which we just talked about, which was a fantastic movie that was one hundred percent an artistic vision from Tim Burton. Uh, in fact, the only reason he even did it was because they told him they let him do whatever he wanted. And if you watch Returns, it's obvious that he did whatever <laughs> he wanted because that movie is not the movie that the studio would want. Absolutely not. Uh, and then, yes, okay, you also had in the same uh, decade the Batman Forever and Batman and Robin films, which a lot of people don't like, but those were also a creative vision. That's what uh, Joel Schumacher actually wanted to do. Uh, but then in the same decade, you had Blade, uh, which was fantastic. And I think didn't, uh, did the first X-Men movie come out in 99 or 2000? Okay. So there you go. But it's always been hit or miss, just like any other genre of movies. Just because a movie is a drama doesn't mean it's automatically good, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I like all respect to Ms. Foster. She can't really say much about movie flops like uh oh here comes the diss she's she's definitely been in a few that have it have landed about as well as batman and about as well as flight plan (laughs) hi-oh well but there you go and uh i just think it's a little bit uh naive to make a comment like that when and by this point we've had so many amazing superhero films like last year alone we had logan and wonder woman that are going to stand the test of time. Yeah, it just it just goes to show that she's like out of touch with this particular <laughs> part of the film industry. I'm sorry, but I just clicked. <laughs> I just clicked the flight plan Wikipedia, and I saw something that said controversy, so I clicked it, and it says the Association of Professional Flight Attendants called for an official boycott of the film, which they say depicts flight attendants as rude, uncaring, indifferent, and even one as a terrorist. <laughs> what? <laughs> what the hell? What? Dude, you just take us on the weirdest. Uh, so moving right along, uh, Marvel has just gotten a new writer. Uh, Gail Simone is returning to Marvel to write a Domino series. Uh, so Gail hasn't written for Marvel since the early 2000s and is coming back to do this Domino series um, with Greg Land, who's going to be doing the art, and also Frank Diamarda. So this is actually major because, she, ha- like I said, she hasn't written for them in forever. And um, it's really cool that she's getting to do a series that she's excited about. Uh, so on Twitter, she mentioned... Oh man, I asked for all my favorite Marvel characters to appear and they are. So this is something that, you know, she's getting, she's getting to do what she wants to do with this series. And that's really, really exciting for me as a fan of Gales. Um, it's just the only criticism or critique I have. And I like Domino is just that this is another one of those books where it's like, okay, this is the X Men, but this is like, a C D list character in that world, uh, what are the odds that this goes beyond seven issues? Yeah, I I don't see this being uh you know, a vision or a hawkeye or, you know, one of those. Like and like 
I don't know. There are several jokes I could make about Greg Land. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that I just, like, I really want to, but um, this is the long box, so I'm not going to do it. <laughs> um, uh, I, it's just, like, that pairing, and, like, it's obvious that this is coming out to sort of coincide with Deadpool 2. I just, like, good for her. I'm pumped. She's pumped about it. I I do. I hope it's good. I do too. I really I, I really like Domino. Um, I like that whole X statics thing. Um, I hope that it's good. It's got the right talent behind it. I think, and um, I mean, Gail Simone's a world class writer in this industry. I think Domino's a really cool character. I'm really intrigued what she does with it because maybe it's something that you know, maybe it's lightning in a bottle. That's always possible, and I would love for that to be the case. Um, and I would love for Gail to uh, have a good experience at Marvel that will keep her wanting to do stuff because the Gail Simone Captain Marvel series is everything that I need. Like, I think that would be phenomenal. There you have it, folks. I don't know. I can't wait to see what porn Greg Land traces to get <laughs> these characters. <laughs> there it is. I couldn't. I couldn't hold it. I wanted to make it so bad. <laughs> I wasn't going to push you. I wanted you to, but I wasn't going to push you. <laughs> so, uh, X Men Grand Design uh, has been a major hit. The first two issues are out, and they've been very, very well received. Um. And they're done by Ed Pisker, and they're so good, in fact, that um, the second sort of set of books, so the way this is working out is that there's six issues planned in total, uh, but each one is very long. They're all oversized um, books, and they each talk about a particular timeline in the history of the X-Men. And um, so Second Genesis is the second part, which would be issues three and four. It was supposed to come out in December 2018. Now it's going to come out in the summer. So they've moved up that um, that release date quite a bit. Um, and uh, this is what Ed had to say about this. Um, every two issues is like a mini arc and every two issues becomes a book. These issues will come out in December and January with a trade in April. Wash, rinse, repeat for three years. It takes me about six months to do an issue, doing two pages a week, and that's a a seven-day-a-week schedule. This is bigger than a standard monthly comic. It's a more intense project. You're not going to want to miss it, but good comics take time. I don't have to let anything pass my desk that I don't completely approve or that I'm not happy with. I'm creating this with intense specification on my part. So uh, the fact that it's getting moved up that much makes me sort of question that timeline. Because if he needed that time to make them good, uh, then how can he put out the next one so soon? I guess it depends on how long he's been working on it. And if he's, you know, if that's the only thing he's working on, Maybe he's, you know, maybe he's cranking them out. It's possible. Uh, I, I just want to real quick mention that I, I had the opportunity to read the first issue, not the second one because uh, the snowstorm this weekend or this week is phenomenal. And I haven't seen Marvel really getting any kind of credit for this. And it it upsets me that Marvel did not 
accurately market this book. DC has made it clear that they want to do books that are more about the artistic vision, books that are more uh, breaking the mold of what traditional comic books are. They've gone out of their way to talk about that. We covered that during New York Comic Con. And we made a big deal about how cool that was. And Marvel stayed silent the entire time. Meanwhile, they got to the ball first with Grand Design and with Vision before that. But they're not talking about it. Grand Design is incredible. So basically what it does, the first issue at least, is it tells you the origins of the major X-Men characters from the beginning. So you you get Magneto, Professor X, Cyclops, uh, Jean, Iceman, uh, Angel, and Beast. Those are the characters that it focuses on. But it does it in a way, you know, obviously these characters origins were told within the comics over the course of like 20 years, right? Like they are always adding things to their origins. Uh, this book syn- synthesizes all of that, takes it and makes it a cohesive narrative, which has never been done before for the X-Men. And it's fantastic. And everybody should know about this, but Marvel has sucked at promoting it. Yeah, it's 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 weird that you get a creator like Ed Pisker on a book like this and you don't do anything with it. Yeah, I don't know what's going on over there. They're, well, they're just too busy trying to get the Zack Snyder director's cut of Justice League out. <laughs> Marvel yeah. is? They're like, please put it out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, everything I've heard about it is really good. I really like the art. Um, but It's a beautiful book. You know, we're not allowed to have nice things, I guess. <laughs> well, it made me think I would love something like this for the Justice League or or the Avengers. Like this is such a cool concept. For sure. And they just they're just not I, I don't know. I mean Morrison okay. kinda had this idea eleven years ago with uh, or twelve years ago with uh, his Batman run where it's like everything is a single timeline. Yes, for sure. The difference is that this this is like that was in continuity, him him putting it all together. Uh, and, and, and using, using the continuity to tell a story. This is, here's the, here's the history of the X-Men told in a cohesive narrative for no other reason than I feel like doing it and to make it look fantastic. And that's a constant, like, think about all the people who want to know about the X-Men and their origin, but are new readers and don't know where to start. You couldn't, you could not do this. You couldn't, you could not read Cyclops' origin story like over the course of a small amount of books in any other way. You'd have to be like on Wikipedia or some shit. Right. And that's a horrible way to catch up with comics. <laughs> that was my, that was my existence with superhero comics. It's just, oh my God. No, no, no. no I, sincerely, like, and, and yeah. with X-Men, I started at, at the beginning. The, the oh, very beginning with huh. with like with Stan Lee and oh my god Ditko, mm, no, I don't think it's Ditko. Now now like I'm sure it's Kirby, but now now you're making me question it. I have oh to wait, I'm up. thinking I'm thinking maybe Spider Man. Yeah, Spider Man's Ditko. Yeah, Spider Spider Man is Ditko for sure. Hold on, I'm looking it up because you uh, really bugged me. It's Kirby. I knew it was Kirby. That's Kirby? Okay, you made me second yeah. guess myself. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so I, but I went back because uh, I I got the Astonishing X Men. That was my first X Men book. Uh, the first volume and second 
and the, the Whedon stuff, right? Yeah, and I have I had no context for it. Um, so like I had to go to Wikipedia and be like, "What's going on? What is this? What is everything?" And I was like, "I'm frustrated with this. Let's go back to the very uh, beginning." It's funny. I would have really liked Astonishing X Men by Joss Whedon if they didn't have Zack Snyder fill in the blanks on that issue. Boo. Oh Christ! <laughs> Kale, go ahead. <laughs> have uh, Have any of you read uh, Hip Hop Family Tree? Ed Pisker's seminal work. Uh, no, I. It's on my list. Yeah, yeah, it's on mine too. I would really like to. And think about think about how this changes the game for um, uh, comic book retailers. That now, when this whole thing is collected, whenever anyone comes into the store and says, "Hey, I want to start with the X Men, but I don't know how," especially since Marvel got the rights back and they're going to be able to really pump X Men comics. Every retailer will have a book they can point to to say this is where you start with the X Men. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's dope. I just uh, you know it's like we said. I, I just wish Marvel would pump it. I wish they would do something with it because it, it it seems like at least right now, you know, we we don't exactly know what the the future of DC's like creative team uh, books looks like. Uh, but it seems like right now Marvel has a better handle on it. Uh, they just, they're, they're not doing anything with it. They haven't figured out that this is a good thing and this is what people want. Or at least this is what, this is what will get people in the door. And like, it's just like insane that they can't figure this out. Yeah. And, and, and how did they let, how did they lose Tom King? How did they let him sign exclusive with DC? Like, I'm, now I'm just mad about Marvel. <laughs> um, because I just don't understand. Like, he, he did vision and it was so, like, loved. And you guys let him go. You didn't, you didn't, how did you not offer, how did you not roll the Brinks truck up for this guy? How did they not see that talent? Like, it, it's just, it's just unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Yeah. But, now we have him at DC, and that's nice. <laughs> I and and to to our Bendis discussion, like it sounds like they wasted him too. Of course, they wasted him because at, at a certain point, it felt like Bendis was just a cog in the machine, and you know yeah. whatever. But they've done it to all their writers. Why did Recommender leave? Why did Hickman leave? It, it just feels like there's no place for them to be able to tell artistic stories that take place in continuity, but they have free reign or continuity light environments. Whereas DC for better or worse seems to be willing to allow their writers to do what they feel like doing, except, you know, the, the true exception is with Grant Morrison's Batman, which, you know, he got screwed over on the end of that. But when you look at what they let him do with that, that was unbelievable. And they gave him the first 18 issues of action comics as like a consolation prize. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Guys read Indies. (laughs) So I want to talk about John Bernthal uh, and his response to Punisher fans who are members of the alt-right, who have kind of adopted the character and uh, some of his um, some of his uh, iconography, like the, the Punisher uh, symbol, the skull. Um, he says, fuck them. Uh, two words, very clean, very simple. That's all he had to say about that. Um, it's kind of rude. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I, 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 I think being a member of the alt-right is kind of rude. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree. Um, and I, I like that response. I think it's cool that he came out and definitively said, 
uh, you know, that he's got no time for that. You know, um, he gave them no time. He just said, fuck them and moved right along. That's fantastic. However, uh, there's been a lot of conversation surrounding the Punisher lately, um, especially since the Netflix show and just before the Netflix show was released, um, about whether or not the Punisher is a character that Marvel should continue to uh, publish and hype. Um, obviously, in this country, we've got a big problem with gun violence, and we have for a long time. Uh, there's more gun violence in this country than any other country. Uh, that's, you know... By, by a lot. Yeah. Um, and when you have police brutality the way it's been, and... You know, that, that a lot of police and members of the military kind of um, uh, idolize the Punisher and use his symbol. And that that's a big thing, too, which uh, has upset a lot of people. Um, you know, the question kind of is, and this is, this is you know, our main topic for today. Um, is the Punisher bad for our culture? Is it, is it harmful to us that there is a character that exists in this time, in this political climate that we're in, in the social climate that we're in, is it bad for us that there is a character who so wantonly murders, doesn't care what he's doing? Um, you know, granted, he, he only kills bad guys. He doesn't kill innocent people. Some people make the argument that he shouldn't be the person to judge who's innocent and who isn't. Um, that he's circumventing the law to do what he does and removing a person's opportunity for redemption, uh, which is not what we're about, um, in, in, you know, in modern culture, at least. Um, and some people who have, who have taken issue with John Bernthal specifically for, uh, saying the following during an interview with Entertainment Weekly. It's an important character. It's what I'm honored to play. This is a guy who means a lot to a lot of people, and his character has resonated with law enforcement and military. Um, and just kind of saying that he's cool with the fact that he's playing a character who a lot of military and police members um, love so much. And so some people have even taken issue with him on this. So where do you guys stand on this issue? It's a big issue, I think. And so the, the questions that I'm kind of wanting to ask and tackle uh, as we jump into this uh, is, do the criticisms that people have lobbied against the character and Marvel have merit? Should Marvel be cognizant of, of what this character represents? Um, and should a character like this exist in a society where we have the problems that we have, is the Punisher doing harm to us? Is the Netflix series harmful to us? Um, you know, just just those kind of questions, just opening the floor. In a word, it's complicated. As a character, I don't think the Punisher is intrinsically a bad thing. There's a lot of really good Punisher books by like Garth Ennis and other people. Um, the Punisher TV show was really good. Problem with Punisher isn't the character of the Punisher; it's the iconography that so many fucking idiots use. Um, you have these. You have there, there's a certain type of person who really worships the Punisher, and it's a person who probably hasn't. I, I mean, I was talking about it with a friend last night when I saw that we were going to talk about this, who actually really likes the Punisher, and. He said most of these people that, you know, advertise 
the logo, the skull on their vehicle or their helmet or whatever the fuck ever. They've never read a Punisher book. They've maybe seen the Thomas Jane film. That's probably about it. It's it's more about the iconography, about a guy who kills whoever he wants. Because that's the type of person who, like, in, in, in regular culture and the regular zeitgeist of things, uh, worships the Punisher. Um, it's it's like a libertarian wet dream to be able to just kill whoever you want. And obviously the Punisher goes out of his way to kill, like, really bad people. But the, people don't you know, differentiate that. It's a guy who kills whoever he wants. And in the case of someone that's all right, it's minorities and shit like that. <clears throat> it's a problem that people in the military and the police use Punisher iconography as well, I think, because that's, what, what does that emblem represent now? It represents someone that takes matters in their own hands and uses lethal force if necessary. So I don't think this is a problem with the character of the Punisher. But I don't know how you divorce iconography of a, of a concept versus a character. Like Superman and the S, they're different things. But when you look at the Superman S, it, I think it means two things to people. It can mean hope or it can mean strength. That, that iconography isn't problematic. Whereas the Punisher's skull is. I, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a problem with how the characters are represented. You know, the same people who, idolize the punisher are the same people who idolize uh, you know rick sanchez from rick and morty uh, like they're the people who freak out and flail at mcdonald's because they can't get szechuan sauce like you know they they see this person who who they relate to and is solving a problem but they don't they don't see the problems with them solving the problem you know, the Punisher's way to deal with things is to kill them. And yeah, obviously that's a problem with uh, police and minority and, and, you know, and police and minorities, but also the military. There is merit to this discussion. I think I, I, I personally like, you know, uh, I, I couldn't take part in watching the Punisher. I thought the first episode was just, it was too violent for me, but there is a place for the Punisher, but I think the story that was told was told irresponsibly. I think, not that I think every everything has to have a message, but I think this was a real opportunity to say something that probably should be said right now. And I, I really think they have missed an opportunity with this character to make a really salient point about gun violence and and vigilantism and topics of that nature while phil was talking that was sort of the direction i was sort of thinking um like kale where they should be saying something with this character like they should take be taking advantage of the fact that they have this character we are in this climate and that they should have a or at least put out some sort of uh like draw the line in the sand as to like where where they stand so that way at least that permeates through the character but then i was thinking about the show where it never takes a stance on gun violence it's it's always it was very um uh like with oh my god uh the what was it was it the governor guy who was like uh i'm forgetting his name but oh yeah, yeah he was yeah. like anti-gun my point is like i don't think the punisher should be saying anything necessarily or taking a side because i feel like that um 
that position that they did or didn't take in the in the show was much stronger than if they had taken a side because then you're not allowing a person to sort of make that decision and whether or not like the alt-right people who or people who um support maybe extreme measures or who support guns in general and they feel like that character speaks to them i disagree but if it's speaking to them in that way uh, I don't feel like the company has the right to stand in the way of that. So I, I, I definitely, I definitely understand exactly what you're saying, Marco. Um, and I, I come from a similar perspective, I guess. Um, I don't think that Marvel likes the fact that alt-right people yeah, know, subscribe no. to the Punisher. You know, I don't think that Marvel's cool with that. I don't think that they're looking for that. Um, and. I think it's the same thing when, for example, uh, Captain America became a Nazi in Secret Empire and all these alt-right people all of a sudden were these massive fans of Captain America and that was a problem, right? Um, Marvel could have stopped publishing it. They could have said, you know, they could have come out with a statement. They could have done a million different things, but these are stories, you know, and to me, when it when it comes down to creativity, you know, for me, man, it's always going to be um, let the creators do what they're going to do, and that creators shouldn't be subject to having to or being forced to make some kind of statement in any way about anything unless they feel that that's what they need to do. Yeah, if that's the, if that's the message they want as a creator to send, right? And and clearly they didn't feel the need to do that. So for me. It's not it's not my place to say what they should or shouldn't have done. It's more their place to tell me what the story is and then for me to make my mind up after the fact. Right. Uh, now, that being said, the show doesn't definitively say anything, but it definitely isn't a show that's in favor of gun violence. It, it definitely like paints the picture that what the Punisher does is wrong. There, no one on the show is cool with what he does. No one's like gung ho about it. Even Micro Lieberman isn't. He doesn't like what the Punisher does. He recognizes it as a necessary evil because of the specifics of the situations that they were in. But on the show, Punisher doesn't deal with like run of the mill crime. He only deals with the people who did him and Lieberman wrong. That's a different thing. Than what the Punisher does in the comics. Because in the comics, the Punisher kills anybody who commits crimes that he feels are worth dying over. Um, so, for example, uh, there's a particular panel that I saw recently when I was researching this uh, that showed the Punisher going to a home where he knew through his resources that the homeowners had children and that they were using their children to film child pornography and he kills them. Most people would think that that was cool, you know, like that that was fine to do. Um, but that's not how we handle things in our world. He did that in Netflix too. He did it in the Daredevil series where he's going to pick up like ammunition. Oh, yeah. The guy's like, Oh, I got this. And he just locks the door and picks up the bat. Right, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I actually forgot about that scene, but you're right. Um, I, and so, for me, it's like, first of all, these people don't read comics. A lot of them don't. Uh, second of all, even if they do, uh, they're getting the wrong message. Because the message of the Punisher, and, and I'm not like a big fan of the character in the comics, but 
the message of the Punisher that I've read has never been um, that this is cool what he does. I've seen him get punched out by Captain America for killing villains. That was the very first time I saw the Punisher in a comic book was Captain America punching him in the face for what he does. I've seen him. I've seen Spider-Man go after him for similar reasons. I've seen him fight Daredevil for similar reasons. So the characters who we're supposed to associate with don't like what he does and actively try to take him out. And if and if you don't see that, then you know I don't know. I, I like I don't I don't I don't know what Marvel's responsibility is if there are people who get the wrong message from a character that they publish. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, there's a clear discrepancy I think between the nuance of a popular character in comic books that is dealing with uh, PTSD and having his family murdered versus a bunch of idiots who see a skull and a guy with guns and they think, oh shoot, that guy's cool. He takes matters in his own hands. At the end of the day, it's reality versus perception of reality. Um, you have a bunch of guys who have a political agenda that is about hating and marginalizing people. And if they had their own way, killing them through, uh, you know, any means necessary versus, you know, a, a, a complex character who, you know, gets his bell rung for being a morally gray character. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then also, that brings up a much larger conversation because if the Punisher is subject to this kind of scrutiny, then I think you have to also talk about violence in movies. Um, you you have to bring up um, uh, music and you know the the kind of content in rap music that a lot of people have been critical of. Video games, um, and you have to bring up video games. And I feel the same way about those things as I do about this. So if you feel like that about the Punisher, then I think you kind of have to take the same stance when it comes to those things. And I can't understand how a person reasonably thinks that video games shouldn't exist or that we should be censoring the music. I mean, and and the the conversation about violence in movies is kind of over. No one's really that that's not a hot button issue anymore. So I don't know. I think there is a difference here. Uh, whereas. Saying that video games or movies or music will maybe inspire a kid to behave more violently because of the behavior they're seeing in media. The problem with the Punisher is that his iconography is being used as an emblem for fascists that seem to like it's, it's being used politically to hurt people. That's the difference here, I think. Um, I'm not saying that justifies you know, removing Punisher from continuity or as a character or whatever, but I think there is a difference. Whereas the other broad umbrellas are perhaps uh, bad influences on children. The problem is that this is being used as a weapon for people who already have hate-filled ideas. Well, then what about things like hate music specifically? That's problematic too, though, in the same way. But But it's the same thing then. No, but that's I'm I'm not talking about music that encourages kids to do drugs or be violent. Hate music is made to specifically attract skinheads. You know what I mean? There is a difference. Like one isn't incur- deliberately encouraging kids okay. to do shit. It's just it's just kids think it's cool and they're attracted to it, right? Well, the other is deliberately like an anthem for shitty people. Okay. Okay, but then here's another example. What about? 
uh, for example, Grand Theft Auto. And the big conversation that surrounded that game in the early 2000s, where you were playing a game where you could literally, like, run over a woman and beat her to death. Uh, and then the young people started to, you know, rob cars and say things like, oh, I, I, I was inspired by GTA when I did this, you know, and that was a thing. I was inspired uh, in, by GTA, but only to be a better citizen because I'd be the guy who's like, oh, my, my brother be like, you can run that person over. It's like, no, but like, it's a red light. I got to wait. <laughs> like, so I used to do that too. I always tried to drive properly. No, it's actually, it's really, it's really fun to play that game, like respecting the law. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. Yeah. <laughs> That was no, it that was fun for me, like like abiding abiding by it and just being like, oh, there's a cop, I gotta slow down. Like it's just funny to like uh, subvert what the game is for. <laughs> no, no, no. What I'm saying is, there's a clear difference. It, like you can the, the conversation about whether or not Grand Theft Auto or certain music or what have you is a bad influence on kids is another conversation. I'm talking about uh, iconography or Marco brought up hate music that's being used as a rallying call for people who are already fucked up and like really evil people. That's the difference. But, but those, those people, those people are going to do this no matter what. People said that like Marilyn Manson or Eminem's music in the late nineties was inspiring satanic cults and everything else. That's bullshit. If you are inclined to be in a satanic cult, I don't think you need Eminem to help you along that path. Uh, I think you where just, else are you going to find your satanic cult? That's a, that's a pretty good point, actually. <laughs> I, I I don't think I don't think that the Punisher skull is inspiring anyone who's not already inspired, yeah, or likely to be inspired by some other kind of crazy thing. I you think know? you're right. I, I, I think I think it's just hateful people that are clinging on to iconography. They're they're reaching for things that they can use as ammunition. Storytelling is a two-sided coin, right? Like the, you know, there are, are, you know, young black men who are inspired by Miles Morales who think, oh man, here's a character who finally represents me. Well, because of that growth of these kind of, you know, characters, unfortunately, there are, you know, older white men who see the Punisher as, oh man, here's someone who finally represents me and my ideals. That's, I mean, troubling. But, okay, so Kale, as a creator, let's say you create something and, you know, you had the best intentions. Obviously, you're not a hateful person. But you create something as a part of a story that has a strong message in the story that makes sense but that people take out of context and it inspires them and they use the symbolisms or the character as a, you know, as an, they use the iconography and it inspires them to do things or say things that are negative. What do you feel your responsibility is then as the creator of that thing? I mean, I think, and, and this is, this is sort of why I haven't taken such like a, like the hard position, like I'm more inclined to do is is be is for this reason like i i think the creator's position and even the company's position should be to distance themselves from that as much as you know as much as they can um i don't think that getting rid of the character or you know canceling the netflix series or or the comics or anything is is the move that should be taken 
because there is there are stories that can and should be told with this character but i i do think that marvel themselves need need to call out these you know these alt-right fucks for what they are and to say this isn't what the punisher represents the punisher is a damaged individual who is setting out to do good in a in in his own way that is outside of the law and is fictional but that doesn't represent us and that doesn't that has nothing to do with us i well and and to sort of round that off like i to me i think i think this would be a good time for like a a punisher sort of gun control story or a, a story that sort of zeroes in on what's wrong with the punisher like as like the character like what's wrong with frank castle that makes him do this right like a tom king punisher book right now would be dope that thing has definitely been done before it's not an original yeah, story absolutely. um but i mean yeah tom king punisher book would actually be phenomenal also like you look at the themes in in um in uh that vertigo book help me out here sheriff of babylon sheriff of babylon um and even or, even omega men yeah exactly this, that's a perfect choice to tackle a punisher book i think Damn it, Marvel. See, this is what I'm talking about. If Marvel hadn't let Tom King go, then we get the book that Kale's talking about, and then this would all be solved. <laughs> but like there's 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 so much to be said about, you know, PTSD and and you know, or I mean even organized crime. You know, you could really tackle that in a really real way. And this would be a really great time to do that. That's something I think that the, the, the Netflix series does really well, I think, is it really does tackle what PTSD resembles in different war veterans. Um, the people that criticize Punisher for not doing enough on gun control, I think they miss the point. Because the series really does do a good job of reflecting that war is not a natural state of the human being. And when people are put in combat situations, it fucks them up in different ways. Like no one Thank leaves you. war in a non-fucked up way. It's just, it's just what it is. And that's and that's that's why I equate these people with the same people who idolize Rick from Rick and Morty. Like they're missing the point. Like Rick, Rick and Frank Castle are not good people. Yeah, absolutely. They're doing they're doing very different things, but. At their core, they're not good people. They're damaged and broken people trying to operate in a world that doesn't work for them. Yeah, yeah, and that's a big thing in the Punisher series and the books too, and the good Punisher books is that Frank Castle's an extremely flawed man um, who is like a force of nature at this point. And and one other thing that I think is important to add for context is that. When we read comics or we see the Punisher in any form, we know definitively that the people that he goes after are actually bad because we can Mm -hmm, see mm -hmm. what they do. And we know that he only targets people that are evil, that are, that are doing really horrible things. And the people who associate themselves with the Punisher don't have that same, like, like, they don't get that grace, right? Because Punisher's fictional, so we can see everything he does. And we know that even though he's he's definitely doing the wrong thing, but he's killing 
if killing were an okay thing and we all agreed you should just kill people who do the wrong thing, he'd be killing the right people. Like we, we as readers and viewers are justified in his actions because we can see the reasons and the justification behind it. Whereas people who associate themselves with the Punisher are not in that same space. So for example, that guy who recently murdered the, 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 the bug eradicator, uh, of, of like a month ago, who had on his gun, he was a, he was a cop and on his, on his gun, it said, you're fucked. He, 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 he engraved that into his gun. Uh, that guy killed a, a, a an eradicator just because he was he had his his you know his his uh an an exterminator. An, I'm sorry, thank you. An exterminator just because he had his his you know his weapon against uh these you know these uh, creatures out, and people thought it was a gun. People thought it was a deadly weapon. So he cornered him in a hallway in a hotel room, and he killed him. And he killed him in cold blood, and he had no right to do that. But that's the kind of person that associates themselves with the Punisher and would say that's what he would do. That's not what he would do. And we know he wouldn't do that because we see him not doing that. It's it's not just the alt right folks. It's 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 the type of military and, and, and police official who is not fit for that type of job. Yeah, it's not fit for. I don't know what they're fit for, but yeah, absolutely. If you think that taking the law into your own hands is a good thing to do, then you definitely shouldn't be a law enforcement person because that's that the extreme measures that the Punisher takes are not fit for this world, let alone that job. Guess I'll be a bartender instead of a hero at night. <laughs> so uh, hopefully you guys enjoy this conversation. I would love to hear perspectives from uh, those outside of the show. Um, so if you're a pal of ours, definitely do reach out to us and let us know where you stand on this issue because it's definitely a major topic right now. Definitely a, an issue worth discussing. Phil definitely wants to hear from the alt-right no, that was it. I was going to say, I was oh, I wonder geez, the, the, what you originally said. I want to re- reflect on what I want to, I want to, I just want to repeat what John Barenthal said. If you if you are, if you're all right, fuck him. Yeah. Uh, I, I, that's, that's the universal stance on the comics pals, I think. Um, so, uh, you know, again, if you do want to join the discussion, uh, you can get to us in a lot of ways. You can write to us on iTunes and while you're there, you can leave us a rating. Um, and of course, all other podcast hosting platforms, including SoundCloud, where you guys are really good to us. Um, you can hit us up at the Comics Pals on social media. Uh, and we will discuss this with you there. You can write to us at the Comics Pals at gmail.com, where you can tell us which Batman movie, uh, that's currently available on Netflix is your favorite. So that discounts the Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises, and the original Batman movie. Um, you can talk to us about, um, Anything we talked about on this show, including, of course, the Punisher issue. Um, and then last but not least, you can get us on YouTube where you can like this video, drop us a line, leave us a comment, uh, share it with your friends, which is hugely important. It helps us out a lot. And of course, subscribe to the channel and get us over 100 subscribers. So let's do some plugs. Kale. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Comics Pals. Uh, you can find Pete at loud underscore Pete uh, on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Um, I know he's still working on uh, articles at CBR. Um, I don't know what's making him money, but uh, last I heard, there's an article about Majin Buu uh, that's up, and I think he's got a couple Star Wars uh, things up. Uh, Google him and click everything just to make sure 
we uh, oh uh, the video game pals uh, will come out tomorrow uh, there's always a, an amazing discussion over there there's a similar to this one actually there's a uh, the most recent episode was about uh, the swatting incident that happened in Kansas um, really good discussion about that um, so uh, yep yeah, please stay tuned for that uh, the Riverdale Review will c- be coming back uh, as soon as uh, Riverdale does, uh, roughly the week of the 24th. Uh, so please make sure and listen to that. Um, you've been very kind to the season premiere video on YouTube, so please keep that trend going. Give those a click. Fuck, fuck Pete stuff. Give, give those a click. <laughs> Uh, you can find my comics on uh, Comixology and uh, Selfie.com where you can get a, uh, a DRM-free uh, uh, digital copy of uh, all of Panel's uh, stuff uh, at Selfie.com backslash Panel's Publishing and Panel's Comics on Comixology. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram uh, as well, and then you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Toto Into. That's T O T O I N T O W. Awesome, uh, Marco. Uh, you can find me at Mr. Marco Animoto on Instagram and Twitter. I don't have any shoutouts this week on any indie books. Uh, I've just been catching up on some old like back issues and everything. So next week, an indie book to announce. Awesome, Phil. Uh, so, uh, January 4th was Wrestle Kingdom 12. That's a good show. You guys should check it out. Especially Kenny Omega for Chris Jericho. That was some good shit. And then, oh yeah, make sure you check out the Comics Pals Cruise. Marco has a Common Writers panel that he's doing apparently. So, uh, <laughs> go check that out. Yeah, about, uh, uh, Forza specifically. So, if you like hot takes and dad bots, follow Phil at Cyborg Bebop. <laughs> Where's that at? The Cyborg Bebop. Cyborg Bebop. Boop. Uh, and of course, for me, as always, I am on Twitter only at Sean Soapbox, and you can reach out to talk to me about anything you want to talk about. Pirates. And no, anything except pirates. Um, so with that, we're the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. Bye. I'm going to go kill some fuckers. Whoa. <laughs> that outro is escalated. <laughs>